Have you ever seen the bumper sticker, I'm in no hurry, I'm on my way to work? Ever see that one? <laughs> Pretty popular. Have you ever felt that way? Uh, <clears throat> reminds me of my very first job. Uh, uh, well, I'd worked before and I'd gotten paid before, but this is the first time I ever had a job uh, where the government deducted from my paycheck. That's when you really know you've gone to work, you know, is when you, the government's deducting from your paycheck. It was for Melrose Nursery and Soils Company in Miami, a couple of years in high school, first year of college. <clears throat> and basically what would happen is that uh, in the summertime in particular, I would stumble in half asleep. You know how kids are, we all stay up too late at night. Stumble in half asleep, and they would load a bunch of us on the back of a flatbed truck and send us out to some job, landscaping job or whatever. The best part of the whole day was that truck ride out there. <laughs> You know, where you could just sleep and we'd drive through downtown Miami and you could, you could smell the bread, wholesome bread baking and the coffee being brewed and stuff like that. And then you had to go to work. Uh, and, but then you got to load up and ride 30 minutes or so back. So you got paid for 30 minutes to an hour of just riding around. That was the best part of the day. And uh, surveys indicate that's the way most Americans feel about their job. You know, it's, it's kind of going and coming. It's not the work part that they enjoy. And there's all sorts of statistics. So I'm not going to try to say 70% or 40% or anything of that nature. But there's a lot of Americans that really are not happy uh, with their jobs. Somebody asked a guy one time, how long does it take you to get to work? And he said, well, I'm not quite sure, but I usually get to work about 30 minutes after I clock in. Uh, and that's the way it is, it is with us. Now, it seems crazy to invest so much of our lives into something that we don't enjoy, some place where we feel trapped, some place where we see no way out. Uh, this is the third week of the series that we're in called The Business of Living, Biblical Principles for Living Day to Day, and job is certainly part of that. The series is about managing all the different areas in our life, our time, our career, our relationship, our money, our talents, everything about our life. And we started with, uh, uh, with this idea, God has a plan for all of humankind. That is, he owns everything, we manage it for him. Last week we talked about life without regrets. What do you want on your tombstone or how do you, be, how do you want to be remembered? And I think we've agreed that it's all about stewardship and we define stewardship like this. Stewardship is the careful and responsible management of something entrusted to one's care. We don't own anything. Now we have our name on car titles and mortgages of our homes and things of that nature. But God is the one who owns everything uh, as testified by the fact you're not taking anything with you when you leave this planet. You didn't bring anything when you came in. Uh, you might have inherited something when you got here, but you didn't bring anything with you. You're not taking anything back. Next week or maybe the week after back to church Sunday, I haven't decided, we're going to talk about managing your finances. But today, we're going to talk about managing your job. Uh, very, you know, worn out title. Take, take this job and love it rather than take, you know, just job and shove it. Uh, it's uh, it, it, because God wants us to love our jobs. And whether you love your job whether you hate your job, doesn't make any difference. The Bible has a lot to say about how your attitude can improve your work life. Maybe for all of us that love football, one of our favorite coaches ever was Tom Landry of the Dallas Cowboys. But he once made the statement, when people aren't happy doing what they do, they don't do it as well as when they're happy. <laughs> that's, 
that's not real classic, but it's the truth. You know, when people aren't happy doing what they do, they don't do very well at it. When they're happy, they do a lot better job. We might add when you're happy at work, it's easier to enjoy the other areas of your life as well. Uh, you, you know, everything else just seems to go a little bit better. Have you ever been at a party or a family outing or even on vacation, you couldn't enjoy it because you couldn't forget the worries and the stress of work? Reminds me of our last trip to Atlanta, you know, where Brad's family and Todd's family and Gene and I went to Atlanta. We're waiting to go into the ballpark and I got a four, I think, of the seven grandkids or five of the seven grandkids or something. And they're going, where's daddy? Well, both daddies were over on the phone because work was just bombarding them, blowing up, couldn't get by without them, you know? Uh, everyone, everyone, no matter how much you enjoy your job, everyone experiences some things like that. You get tired, you get stressed on your job. However, there are times when we need to assess where we're going in our career. We need to confirm whether or not we're on the right track with it. So today, we're going to take a look at a passage of scripture from the book of Ecclesiastes. Now, it's an Old Testament book. The, the author of Ecclesiastes identifies himself in the first chapter as the preacher, the son of David, king of Jerusalem, and that would be Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived. Solomon to whom God gave special wisdom. Solomon is a guy who had the money, the power, and the opportunity to try anything he wanted to try to find fulfillment in life, and in fact, it'd be difficult to find something he didn't try. He tried everything. He had the money uh, to do that. He tried everything imaginable, and he concluded, and it's very obvious in the book of Ecclesiastes, he concluded that every human effort is meaningless. It is futile. That is, without real substance, without real value, without permanence, without significance. It's meaningless unless God is involved. Looks like a pretty pessimistic book until you get the part that when God is involved, meaning comes in and eternal significance comes into things. Now today we're going to examine maybe the best known portion of the book of Ecclesiastes. Uh, certainly one of the few passages in the entire Bible that, that was made into a secular song, a folk and folk rock song. In the late 1950s, a guy by the name of Pete Seeger Many of you, maybe most of you would know the name, American folk singer, writer, and social activist, added about seven words to what Solomon wrote. He, he added the word turn, 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 turn. He would say that three times. And then he added uh, the phrase, I swear it's not too late, to Solomon's poetry. And scores of well-known singers have sung the song, just word for word out of the King James Version of the Bible, by the way, word for word, out of the King James Version of the Bible, uh, all kinds of singers from the 50s on. Uh, a lot of us would remember the folk rock group called The Birds in 1965, you know, number one hit from this particular song. But here's the, what Solomon originally wrote, beginning in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 1. To everything, turn, 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 right? There is a season, turn, turn, turn. A time for every purpose, under heaven, just stopping there for a minute. To everything there's a season, a time for every purpose under heaven. With all this futility that goes on, with all this meaningless stuff that happens, all of a sudden we come to a statement about the sovereignty 
of God and how God has a purpose for everything. That word translated purpose, by the way, to everything, there's a season, a time for every purpose. That's a, a valuable thing. It's in, uh, it's in every activity, every matter, every event, everything that goes on in this world. And while none of our efforts have meaning without God, God has a time and a purpose for everything if we turn it over to him. We're going to find out how to do that. To everything there's a season, a time for every purpose under heaven. Verse two says a time to be born, a time to die, a time to plant, a time to pluck up what is planted. A time to kill, verse three, a time to heal, a time to break down and a time to build up, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance. Verse five says a time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to gain and a time to lose, a time to weep and a time, a keep, excuse me, and a time to throw away. Verse seven, a time to tear and a time to sow, a time to keep silence and a time to speak. And finally, verse eight says a time to love and a time to hate, a time of war and a time of peace. And that's where Pete Seeger threw in the words, I swear it's not too late. Then after this, Solomon returns to the original question that he asked at the very beginning uh, of his book. The original question was this, what profit has a man from all his labor and toils under the sun? Every human activity has its time. What about work? And so in verse nine, he returns to this idea of work. Verse nine, what profit has the worker from that in which he labors. Now, back in chapter one, he had said, I've seen all the work that's done under the sun. And it's all vanity and just grasping for the wind. Uh, Solomon said, nobody, that people work and work and work and work and work and nobody ever gets everything he wants and we all die and we leave it behind. And, and when you look at work from that perspective, it's an absolute waste of time. We work and we work and we work and, and, and we have these dreams of what's going to get us. It doesn't get, get us anything. This verse, by the way, makes it clear what profit has the worker from that in which he labors, that, that that's what we are looking for in work. We're looking for profit, gain, advantage. Uh, what do you get out of your job? Think about it for a minute. What do you get, what gain, what profit do you get from your job? No, I have this food that I eat. <laughs> you know, I have these clothes that I wear. I have this house that I live in. I have this car uh, that I drive. But what do you get? out of your job, if you, if you think about it. What profit has the worker from that in which he labors? And then uh, Solomon continues in verse 10. I have seen the God-given task which the sons of men are to be occupied. I've seen that, that God assigns tasks to keep us busy on this planet. The verse takes us back to the book of Genesis, by the way, uh, where before sin, God came to Adam and Eve and he put them in the garden to tend the garden and take care. He gave them a job. They worked. There was work before there was sin. Then after sin is when work became tedious. It's when a lot of work becomes busy work. You know, a lot of work just work. Not particularly enjoyable, not particularly creative. It is just work, hours and hours of it. All that comes as a result of sin. And a lot of what we do 
in our job, no matter what that work is, could come under the category of, of what, when, when God was talking to Adam and Eve, what he called thorns and thistles and sweat and death for a lot of jobs. Yet, in verse 11, Solomon makes a couple of really positive comments under this topic of our labor on this earth. Verse 11, he, God, has made everything beautiful in its time. And then the second, second comment, also, he has put eternity in their hearts, the hearts of people, the hearts of the workers, except that no one can find out the work that God does from beginning to end. That word beautiful can also be translated and is translated some places appropriate. God alone gives meaning to things in life. God alone gives meaning to the work that we do on this planet because without God, it's just we go out, we kill ourselves, and we never get everything we want, and we die and leave it all behind. And that's pretty, that's pretty much a downer when you think of it from, from that perspective. But God gives meaning. He has made everything beautiful in its time. In addition to that, he also has put eternity in their hearts. In addition, God has given human beings the capacity for eternal things, something that, trans, that, that, that uh, transcends the immediate. Uh, God gives us the ability when we work to work with an, an eternal perspective, to know that while we're not going to take any physical things with us when we leave this planet, we do send things ahead. We do send rewards ahead of us when we go. Uh, one thing, by the way, this eternity that we have in our hearts does not do, it does not enable us to understand everything about God and God's plans in the beginning and the end. That's what the last part of that verse is talking about. But God gives meaning to everything. And within us as human beings, but not within animals, is this idea of eternity, something that transcends now and gives meaning to what we do throughout all eternity. Then we come to the last two verses we're going to look at today, the, the two verses that we'll spend a little bit more time with. In these verses, Solomon is talking about the good that we can get out of our jobs. And he mentions that our, our uh, jobs, you know, back in verse 10, he called our jobs God-given tasks. And with his beauty added to them, and with an eternal aspect in how we approach them, then here's what Solomon concludes in verse 12. I know because God gives them significance and because there's an eternal aspect, I know there's nothing better for them than to rejoice and do good in their lives. In verse 13, and also that every man should eat and drink and enjoy the good of all his labor, it is the gift of God. Now today what we're gonna do is we're gonna look at three questions based on those two verses, three questions that each one of us can ask about our job whether you're retired or whether you're just getting started or whatever it might be. If you can answer yes to all three of these questions, then you're on the right track. Uh, if not, you may need to rethink some things about your job, about your career. Here's the first question. Does my job provide enough to meet my needs? Can I live based on my job? Uh, can I eat? Can I have a place to uh, live? Can I, do I have transportation? Can I save some money? Does my job 
provide enough to meet my needs? Now, as long as the answer to that question is yes, then salary should never be the primary factor in considering a job. Obviously, you have to earn enough money to meet your basic obligations, to support your family, to provide food and clothing and housing and medical attention, be able to save for the future. And all of a sudden, that sounds really expensive. But beyond that, if you choose a career or a particular job based solely on the compensation package, you may be setting yourself up for a whole lot of misery. If the high-paying job forces you into an impossible working environment where you're miserable all the time, it's just not worth it. It's just not what God called you to do. I've spoken to a lot of people on this, uh, 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 during my life on this earth uh, whose idea was that you work yourself to death so that you can retire and have plenty of money. Now, as I re approach retirement, having plenty of money sounds all right. But the problem with that is that if that's our goal in life, a lot of times people lose everything. They lose their families. Everything that's really important and that, and, and that makes life worthwhile, they lose. Because it's been all about just work, 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 work. And never kids, never wife or husband, Never those things, never church, never God, never service to other people. When it comes to finances, there's really only one question that matters with your job. Does this job pay enough to enable me to meet my needs and obligations, including saving for the future? Solomon said that as long as a person's work provides him or her enough to eat and drink, to meet their physical needs, it's the gift of God. Back to verse 13, Ecclesiastes 3.13. <clears throat> and also that every man should eat and drink and enjoy the good of his labor. It is the gift of God. Uh, if it doesn't meet your basic needs, then one of two things has to happen. You've got to get a different job or you have to change the way you spend your money. You, know, you have to spend less money or you have to get a different job. Now, by the way, I'm just going to throw this thought in. Uh, if you've been around, you've heard me say this before, but all honest work is honorable before God. No person can look down his nose at what any other person does and, and say, I'm better than that. You know, all honest work. Now, there's some, if, if, if the work, uh, people, some people make a whole lot of money by taking advantage of people, by ruining people's lives. That's not honorable. There's nothing good. I don't care how much money you make. And you might be a drug salesperson, you know, I'm not talking about pharmaceuticals either, you know, uh, making millions and millions and millions of dollars. That's not honorable, but all work is honorable before God. Some people are just going to make more money than other people are. That, that's life. Uh, and, and, and by the way, there's nothing wrong with making a whole lot of money. In fact, I believe that God gives some people the ability to make lots of money so that they can give away a lot of their money. He gives them the gift of giving, gives them the ability to make that money so they can give money to the right kinds of causes. It's not all about uh, me or even me and my family. The key is to always do good with whatever God gives you. So the first question is this, does my job provide enough to meet my needs? That's something you and God have to decide together. And the next two questions may be even more important. The second question is this, does my job give me the opportunity to do good? I should be able 
to do things for other people. Verse 12, Ecclesiastes 3.12, I know that nothing is better for them than to rejoice and to do good in their lives. There are a couple of translations that do, translate that a little bit differently, but most translations are right like that, to rejoice and to do good in their lives. Does your job make it possible for you to do good for others? Uh, if you work a job that requires you to lie to people and oppress people and take advantage of people, then you need to change jobs or change the way you do your job. Uh, I don't think I've told this story in a long time, but uh, when I was a young pastor, um, I led this young guy to Christ. His wife was already a member of our church. He was a nightclub singer and musician. And once he got saved, he decided he needed to get out of that life, change jobs, and he kind of looked at what is, he just, he was outgoing and, you know, good looking and attracted everybody to him, that kind of thing. And so, uh, he, I guess he went into kind of a natural job. He started selling cars at Friendly Ford in Miami. I thought it was going to kill him within three weeks because the, the sales manager put such pressure on him to lie to people. He, uh, he'd say, get their keys and, let me, and tell them we're just going to see what their car's worth. And he'd give the keys to the sales manager and wouldn't let him have the keys back. He said, you get in there and you sell him a car and I don't care what you have to do. Just beat him to death. This guy was better off in a nightclub. Than he was working for Friendly Ford. You know, he was being forced into a situation where he had to lie to people and take advantage of people. I'm not saying all car dealers are that way, by the way, so, you know, don't get me in trouble there. But just an example of that, your job has to provide you a means of doing good for others. Some people have service-oriented jobs, and just by the nature of doing their job, they do good for others. You know, Keith was a police officer. Uh, uh, in New York City, if he did his job right, he served others. Uh, if you're an electrician or a plumber and you do your job right, you serve others. If you're a physician or an attorney and you do your job right, you serve others. If you work in a restaurant and you do things right, you serve others. I mean, just go down the line, uh, all kinds of jobs. But other jobs don't give people the opportunity to directly help or serve people. Maybe they give them, uh, give financial uh, uh, opportunities to give more, or maybe they give opportunities to uh, have time to be involved in ministry more. I read a, a story about a, a lady named Wendy. Wendy had a job she loved. She was a counselor at a school for disabled children. Uh, and after she'd been in that job for a while, her husband got transferred to a different city and she went with him decided to go with him to that city, but she was not able to find the same kind of a job. What she did finally find was a, a job as a file clerk in an accounting firm. Uh, she actually got paid more there than she did as a counselor for disabled children, and she actually had to work less hours uh, at that job, but, but, but she just felt stifled, and like she wasn't doing anything, and she knew something had to be changed so that she could help people, and so she did two things, she kept that job, but she did two things to change it. Number one, she started a Bible study at noontime so she could minister to the people uh, on her job. And secondly, uh, because she had a little extra time, uh, she volunteered uh, one day a week on a suicide hotline. She looked for opportunities to do good and found those opportunities. Those opportunities are out there. 
uh, uh, a couple of years ago, Ron was a boat captain, uh, knew that was not where God wanted him to be, got laid off and was happy about it. And everybody else said, well, you know, you're making a lot of money out there, bud. Yeah, he was. Uh, and he came and he just started volunteering until he got hired for about one-fifth or one-tenth uh, uh, working at Manna Food Pantry. Just an example, looking for opportunities to do good. Maybe changing the world isn't built into your job description, but maybe you can use your job without having to change it to leverage ministry in other areas. Paul the Apostle worked as a tent maker on the side to finance his ministry. I have a friend in Central Florida whose name is Tom Braddock. He, he's a rancher. Uh, he owns or leases thousands of acres of land in Central Florida where he runs cattle. Uh, he's made a substantial amount of money over the years in that business. He has given substantial amounts of money to the cause of Christ through his church. He has, because he was able to let other people run that business for him for last 35, 40 years, he's just about too old to do it now. He's cut, cut back on his traveling quite a bit. But he traveled the world helping missionaries, building stuff for missionaries. He's built uh, church pews and and, and, and church furniture uh, uh, just on almost every inhabited continent uh, on this planet. Make sure your job gives you the opportunity to do good. Even if your job seems mundane, Tom worked with cattle, and yet he was able to serve people. Even if your job seems mundane, you still have the opportunity, number one, to minister to the people you work with, offering them encouragement, being an example of Christ. So ask yourself this question, does my job give me the opportunity to do good? And by the way, our attitude has a whole lot to do with that because sometimes we just give up and it's all about our attitude. How can I use my job to help other people? Does it mean I can give more? Does my job mean I can give more? Uh, does it mean that I have time to volunteer? Does it, does it give me the opportunity to minister? What can, I, what can I do through my job? Does my job give me the opportunity to do good? Does it meet my needs? Does it give me the opportunity to do good? And most of us could probably do more good than we're doing through our jobs. And then one more question. Number three, does my job give me a sense of fulfillment? Again, a lot of this has to do with attitude as well. Sometimes I'm fulfilled, sometimes I'm not. Not so much the job it is as it is me. But in verse 13, if we go back to verse 13, Ecclesiastes 3.13, and also that every man should eat and drink and enjoy the good of all his labors. It is the gift of God. If you don't receive satisfaction doing your job, a sense that that at least in part of it, you're fulfilling your life's purpose, then maybe your job is not everything God has in mind for you. Sometimes the job becomes everything. Maybe that's not everything God has in mind. Of course, every job has aspects that make it difficult. Part of your job may be tedious, frustrating, stressful, demanding, boring. Parts of my job are all those things, and I love my job. The parts of my job are every, every single one of those things that I just mentioned. The question is, overall, does your job give you a sense that you're doing what you're created to do? God wants you to find fulfillment in your work, 
That is his gift to you. It's not his only gift, but it's his gift to you. Think about this. Work is not punishment. Thorns and thistles are punishment. Frustration uh, uh, is a result of sin. But work is not punishment. It's a blessing. Work is a blessing. And we need to think about that. What if you didn't have that job? Where would you be? You know, so uh, we need to appreciate what God gives us in that work. Adam and Eve worked before there was sin. Sin just brought in all the tedium and the difficulties and the busyness and the fact that, that instead of all being enjoyable, there's no job that's 100% enjoyable. Some, some less enjoyable than others. Your job can be more than 40 to 60 hours of misery that you endure to get a paycheck. It can, it, it can bring fulfillment and purpose. You just need to get in the right job. A lady by the name of Marcia Sindelar wrote a book entitled, Do What You Love and the Money Will Follow. Well, I agree with that as long as we seek God's will in everything. You know, sometimes you can do what you love and, and you leave God out and I don't care what happens, it's not gonna be a good thing. It's a great concept. Find a job you love. Don't worry about the money as long as you can make enough money to meet your needs. Uh, you're probably never going to have enough excess where you feel 100% comfortable. Something's always coming up. Rusty, it reminds me of, of our friend Walt, who's been trying to retire for I don't know how long now, but he can find, well, I need to make a little bit more money. I got to make this a little bit more money. I got to make a little bit more money before I can finally retire. Of course, I think maybe he's finally there. I'm not sure. But money isn't the most important aspect of your career. It's far more rewarding to spend your life doing something you find fulfilling, something that enables you to do good for others, uh, something that will glorify God than it is making bunches and bunches of money. If you do that, the money will follow, and sometimes lots of money. There's no guarantee of wealth, but sometimes lots of money if you're doing it for God and using it uh, for God. Maybe this will be the last time I'll ever use this illustration, but when Todd was a, a junior, a sophomore, in college, he was an English major, and uh, he was advised, you know, you're not going to be able to make any money with that degree. You need to change your major, uh, maybe business writing or something like that. And so we prayed about it, we talked about it, and he agonized over it, and he made the decision, you know, stick with what I like, what I love. He loved English, and he stuck with it, and, and it served him pretty well uh, since then. Uh, you know, I, I mentioned Ron a while ago, uh, boat captain in the Gulf oil industry, making plenty of money. And I loved every month when he came back in and he put his offering envelope in, all those $100 bills that he put in that offering plate. I like that part of it uh, myself. But he was happy when cutbacks in the industry caused him to lose his job because in his mind he'd already quit. He already knew that wasn't what was bringing him fulfillment in his life. Let's look at a verse. Proverbs twenty two twenty nine says this. Do you see a man who excels in his work? Doesn't make any difference what kind of work. Does he do his job really well? Is he good at it? He will stand before kings. He will not stand before unknown men. Now, here's the message in that verse. Observe people who are good at their work. I don't care what their work is. 
I don't care if it's writing a poem, painting a picture, digging a ditch, uh, uh, wiring a house for electricity, whatever it might be. Observe people who are good at their work. Skilled workers are always in demand. They're always admired. They don't take a back seat to anybody regardless of what area that's in and whether it took a doctoral degree or whether they went to trade school or whatever it might be or straight into the military, whatever it might be, people that are good at their jobs are honored and make it in this life. We spend a lot of our lives, I read somewhere as much as 150,000 hours. I tried to do some calculations, didn't make a lot of sense to me, but it's crucial to do what God calls us to do and to do something that brings meaning to our lives. Sometimes we're tempted to make our job or career decision solely on finances. Money is important. Money is important. But there's a whole lot more to your job, your career, than money. So ask yourself, does this job give me a chance to do good? Does this job give me a sense of fulfillment? Now, if you're among the large percentage of people who don't like your current job, then you have to do one of two things, and here they are. Either you must change your job or you must change the way you do your job because God wants you to love your job. He wants you to enjoy your job. He wants you to look forward, uh, not every day. I mean, let's face it. Uh, uh, somebody says, I just get up every day. I can't wait to get to work. I wonder about them a little, just a little bit, you know. Uh, but God wants you to like your job. Loving your job may be as simple as number one, asking yourself these three questions we just talked about. And then number two, make a list of the good things about your job. Every job's got some good things. Make a list of the good things about your job. And then number three, change your attitude about your job. Maybe that's all it takes. Or maybe you might have to get a new job or a new career. I, I don't know. But, but for most people, there, there's more attitude involved than anything else. It's a decision you don't have to make on your own. God will guide you every step of the way. Now, as you consider these things, remember, whether you loved your job or whether you're learning to love your job, it's crucial to remember that whatever we do, I don't care what it is, if it's honorable, we don't do it for ourselves. We don't do it for any company or organization. We work for God, and he's the one that rewards us. Here's what Paul said in Colossians 3.23. And whatever you do, do it heartily. Do it from your heart. Do it with everything you got. Whatever you do, do it with everything. As to the Lord and not to men. Do it as though you're doing it for God because you are. Verse 24, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance. God himself rewards you for your job, for you serve the Lord Christ. Now let's put it in perspective and then we're finished. Only God's word tell us, tells us how everything that exists came from nothing, right? In the beginning, this is where we started, God created the heavens and the earth. And the spirit of God hovered, vibrated over the face of the deep. So we got time, space, matter, energy. God created it all, he created life, he created us. The first man and the first woman were a part of creation. They were created in the image of God. God put them in the garden. He said, go to work, enjoy it, enjoy everything. Don't touch that one thing. And they did. 
And so they rebelled against God. They marred his image. They gave the sin nature to all their descendants, and that includes you and me. We were born with it. And God had a plan from before time. His plan was that Jesus would come and die on the cross and pay the price of our sins, which he did. And so, to everybody here, each of us was made in the image of God. God wants each of us to be a part of his family. It's our choice whether we trust in him or we don't trust in him. It's our choice whether we place our faith in him or we don't. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him, whoever places their faith and trust in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God wants you to be a part of his family. God wants you to enjoy your job. And he will reward you as part of his family enjoying your job on this earth with an, with an abundant life and in eternity. And that's the promise, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance for you serve the Lord Christ. When you get ready to go to work tomorrow, think about the fact that you're going to work for God. You serve the Lord. He's going to reward you. He honors what you do. If it's honorable, he honors what you do. And he does not honor one above another. He honors you in your work and your job, and he will reward you if you do that job well and faithfully. He wants you part of his family. He wants your life to count. Let's pray. Father, we don't know everything we should do. I just ask you to give us the grace to do something for you. Today and tomorrow when we get up, if we have jobs to go to, that we go to enjoy those jobs, to serve you in those jobs by serving others. Guide us in doing a good job. But above all things, help us to realize that, that no, no success in this life has any meaning without you, the meaning that you give it and the eternity that you put in our hearts. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand.